in this evening in the 26th verse of Romans 8. It says, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your word. We know that many are out this evening, whether it's due to traveling, whether it be due to illness, Lord. We pray that you'll bless those who've gathered here, Lord, and those who are watching at home. Lord, I pray that your hand will be upon those who are sick, Lord. I pray that your hands will be upon me this evening. Lord, feed us from your word. Comfort us from your word, Lord. May we see here things that we can know. We give thanks to you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. We've seen here in this text, in verse number 26 and verse number 28, these things in which we know, in that which we know not. In verse number 26, we see that which we knoweth not. We know not at times how to pray for the things in which we have going on in our lives. We know not how to understand the things of this world. At times, we find ourselves so overwhelmed by the things that we see going on in the world that it so overwhelms us that we struggle even how to formulate prayer for this which is before us. How, how do we pray when we are seeing obstacles that people we care about are facing? How do we pray? I mean, we obviously pray that not only, you know, God will heal them, that God will strengthen them, but it is at times fearful for us when we pray that in the midst of it all that God's name will be glorified because if God's name be glorified, we are not exactly certain in which way God will use this situation to have his name glorified. We want to pray God's will be done as long as God's will be done our way. Here the text says, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself make an intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. There is this reality that as we Look at these situations that are before us. We just don't know how to utter the right prayer for it. There's the bad news. The good news is that on our behalf, the, the, the third person in the Trinity who dwells within us is making intercession on our behalf with groanings which cannot even be uttered. There's this side of this situation that we do not know, 
We do not even understand yet how to pray, yet we see that the Spirit prays for us. And then when we fast forward to verse number 28, we see the other thing in which we know. We may not know how to pray. We may not know how to offer up prayer unto God about how this situation can be rectified and how it can be fixed. But verse 28 says this is something that we can know, that God is working in this situation. That God will be glorified in this situation. That he not only rules, but he overrules. That he not only sees, but he is completely involved in all that we are going through in our lives. My father did not convey his emotions well to us as a kid. He may have called it tough love. I called it no love at all. But I can remember one time I burnt my arm on a carburetor. Another time I broke my finger. And as he looked me in the eyes, you would think his emotions were swelling up inside of him and a tear was going to get ready to roll down his face. He looked at me and would say, son, don't worry. It'll make a man out of you. Hmm. I remember thinking if this is what it takes to be a man, then I don't even want to be a man. But what he was trying to do, he was trying to bring me to a place in my mind that this burn from the carburetor, that this broken finger, that this affliction, this pain that I was feeling in my life, he was trying to bring me to a place in my mind to comfort me that this pain was actually going to better me down the road. Well... There was a painful moment from that. I don't know whether I still believe him or not. I didn't believe him then. But Paul says here in this letter to the Romans that we can have this same comfort. That in this affliction, though we may struggle with how to pray, though we may struggle with how to process that which is going on, we can know that God is working in this situation. He said, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. This is the most amazing certainty, a great promise. It is a great comfort. It's what all of us should know. And we know all things. Notice what he offers up here. He does not say, and we hope. He doesn't say, you know, we should hope that all of this is going to turn out well. When we say, and when we say, when we plant our garden at home, well, we did the best we can do. All we can hope for is a good turnout. It is to say that the end is uncertain. And when we say we feel like it is the right thing to do, we say we feel it because it's like, hey, you know what? I, that's to say at this very moment, if other facts were applied, my feelings may change, but we feel that this was the right thing to do in this situation. Paul says here in Romans 8 and verse 28, and we know, we know that all things work together for good. This is the verse where the child of God lays his anchor. One man said that if the word of God was a ring, then the diamond upon the ring would be Romans. 
He said that the princess cut in which the hold, hold, the diamond holds would be Romans 8 in verse 28. Because it is the reminder to all of us that everything that happens in our life will serve a divine purpose through God's will for our life. Now, this at times is troubling to us that we think that everything, everything that we have experienced in our life, that God is divinely working. But this is what the text says. It perplexes us that everything that we go through as a child of God, that God is intimately going to use and somehow is going to use to better us in our life. Yet, notice what Paul says. We know. This is not a statement that, only applies to the disciples. He says, and we know. This is not a statement that just applies to the apostles. He says, and we know. This is a statement that applies to every child of God, that we should live our lives in a place, in a state of certainty, that God is working in our lives. We know this. We know that God is doing something. We may not at times know exactly what God is doing, but we know that he's working. No one has to tell me what raw honey tastes like because I tasted it this morning. No one has to advise me about specific things that I've already done today. No one needs to tell me what coffee tastes like because I drank it this morning. With most certainty, I can say, and I know, and we know, it is a statement with utmost certainty. We know that God is working in our life. That is to say that God is even at work today, even in our lives. I believe it's the easy part for us to say that we believe that God is at work. But the text does not stop there. The text goes on to say that God is at work in all things. Notice here that the text, what the text does not say. He says, and we know that all things work together for good. He does not say that all things are good. He, he doesn't say that at all. He doesn't say that all things that happen in your life are great. He's not offering up a new outlook for our sin. He's not offering up a, a way to spiritualize our disobedience. That way, you know, I slipped into sin, but don't worry. God is at work. Disobedience is still wrong. Sin is still wrong. Sin is not good. Disobedience is not good. The, the world is not good. Also know this. It does not say that God causes all things. He says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. It does not mean that God is the source of the affliction in your life. It does not mean that God caused every storm in your life. It doesn't mean that God caused the sorrows that you're experiencing in your life. It means that Though you experience these sorrows and afflictions in your life, these things that grieve you, that you don't even really know how to pray for you, that verse 26 says the Spirit offer up intercession for, that these situations that God is divinely going to use in your life. 
for what? To accomplish his ultimate purpose in our life. It does not say that God causes all things. We know that God is not the author of sin. We know that God is not the author of evil. Yet God uses that which does, that which does happen that is bad for his ultimate good. It is to say that even in the storm, we can trust that God is working in it. That's hard for us to see, right? It's hard for us to when we go through a series of troubles in our own personal life, it's hard to think about. I was thinking about even Jacob this morning in the Old Testament. Remember in the end of the chapter when Genesis comes around, in the chapter of Genesis when they come to get Benjamin because the governor of the king, of e the governor of Egypt wants to see Benjamin before they'll ever get any food. At this point, Joseph is gone. Reuben has slept with his father's wife. Judah has been dishonored. Simeon and Levi were a bunch of murderers. They done ran off and slayed a whole village of men. Dinah, his beloved daughter, was defiled. His beloved wife, Rachel, was now dead. His other son, Simeon, is now in prison. Famine threatened his entire family. And now after all of this, after all of this, his child, Benjamin, they want to take him now because the governor of Egypt wants to see him. When you come to Genesis chapter 42 and verse 36, it says, And Jacob, their father, said unto them, Me have ye bereaved of my children. Joseph is not, and Simeon is not. Will ye take Benjamin away? In this last part of this verse, notice what he says. All these things are against me. I think at times because of our life situations and our life experiences, we lack certainty that God is at work. We lack certainty. All these things are against me. All these life experiences, all of these pains, all of these losses, all of these things are against me. And here you are again to take even my beloved last child, Benjamin, away from me down here because of what you guys did? All these things are so far against me. I think oftentimes we say all of these things are against me, but we read this verse, this verse of promise, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. All of the things that have made you groan this last year. All of these things that have just made you sick this last year. All these things that have burdened you these last year. Paul says they all work together for good to them that love God. We say, wait a minute, here's my letter. You don't understand. All these things right here are against me. My life's a mess. My job's a mess. My, my family's a mess. You don't understand how complex and how, how broken down my life is. You don't understand the feelings that I had. You don't think, understand the things that I went through as a child. And here he says, all these things work together for good to them that love God. Jacob pulled his letter this day to say, all these things are against me. 
until he got to the end of Genesis chapter 50. And he arrived upon his arrival in Egypt that all things work together for good to them that love God. He didn't understand that God was divinely moving behind the scenes. That while he grieved over the loss of his son and what may have befallen him, that God was divinely working to bring about the greater good. Joseph, in the end of it all, said, you are meant for evil, but God meant it for good. Something great was here. God was sovereignly moving. God is working in all the facets in our life that everything that has happened is for good. Now, we leave this situation a little baffled in our minds because we say, you do not even begin to know my story. I wonder how Paul felt when he wrote this verse down as he looked back on his life. This man who made women widows, this man who made children orphans, this man who was responsible for persecuting many, who led to the death of many. And he comes to this point in this life where he realized that the very sin that he was involved in would eventually spew him up on the shores. All things work together for good to them that love God. God was at work. Many have let their circumstances shake us from this. We should never let our circumstances shake us from the reality that God is at work. We must never let anything cause us to run in fear, but to really step back and proclaim no matter what it is that God is at work. He is working in all times. He is working in all moments. We quickly say that God is working when he gives us a child. We say that God is working when he gives us a grandchild. He's working when he gives us a child and a home and a car. But notice what the text does say. And we know that all things work together for good. This word work together comes from the word synergio. It's where we get this word synergism. It means that all things are brought together to accomplish a common goal. This means that both the good and the bad in our lives are brought together to bring a common goal about in our lives. It is to say that everything in our life comes together to bring about and to accomplish the ultimate end in our lives. What does this mean? It means that all of the suffering in our lives, it means that all of the grief in our life, it means that all of the affliction in our life, when we lose our mother, when we lose our child, when we lose our father, when we lose our friend, it means that because God is at work to bring about something in us that he is trying to use these experiences to accomplish his ultimate goal in our lives. It means that these experiences, they have value. It means that they have a, they have a purpose. It means that God is going to use this to better you, to better me. Thomas Watson said about this, text here about the synergism 
in this work that and we know that all things work together for good. He uh, uh, likens this to an a pharmacist or, or even to an apothecary who would at times take the most poisonous of medications, make the most poisonous things and mix them together. And through tempering and through this education of how to temper these products, will mix them together and produce a medicine that will better a human being and heal their sick body. It is to say that God is using both the things that could destroy us in our lives and the good things in our lives and he is mixing them together to produce something so glorious for him to produce something inside of us that we can sit back and say in the darkest hour and we know that God is at work in our lives we know it we know that he's done all of these things to bring us to this place. Now, we may say that's not what I'm interested in all, that we don't want the bad times, that we, that we don't want to experience these low times. Remember what God reminded Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 16, who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, that he might Prove thee to do thee good at thy latter end. You see that? Who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, that he might prove thee. And notice what it says. To do thee good at thy latter end. 40 years, 40 years in the wilderness. All the death, all the snake bites, all the difficulties, all the wearing, wandering, baking under the heat of the sun, the desiring for thirst, the begging for food, eating so much manna that you're sick of this, asking for quail, and you're going through all of these different things, the destitution, this place of never having a home, remembering what it was like to once upon a time have leeks and onions to experience all of these things. God said, 40 years you wandered. For what? That he might prove thee to do thee good at thy latter end. He was working even in the wilderness. He was working in their life. He was working to, to, to bring them to a place where they would be useful, where he would desire that they would come to a place where they would not forget their, the Lord their God. David said in the Psalms, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now have I kept thy word. Psalms 119.67. That's oftentimes where I think we find ourselves. We don't like affliction, but affliction does something amazing to us. Hard times, troubles, trials do something amazing to our minds. It quickly changes our focus. It quickly lifts our minds from when everything is good here. We become self-consumed. 
When everything is good here, we care about ourselves. We care about more, bigger barns and all of these things. But the psalmist said, that's exactly where I was. I, I, I was astray before I was afflicted. But when affliction came, I have now kept thy word. Affliction opens our eyes. He said, this affliction caused me to see that I need you. Affliction caused me to realize that all things are working together for good. If affliction causes us to turn our eyes off of ourselves, it causes us to turn our eyes back on God. This is a good thing. Because now our eyes are back focused where they should be. He causes death to work for good. He causes Satan to work for our good. He causes the devils, the demons to work for our good. All things. This is all encompassing. This is to say there is nothing outside of the parameters. God uses all things to work together for our good. Suffering to work for our good. Struggles to work together for our good. The psalmist said, it opened my eyes and may we see that in affliction we should not find ourselves in a place where we're disgruntled with God, but maybe in a place where God is saying, look back and realize that this has only come so that I can uh, achieve my ultimate goal, my ultimate purpose in your life. The list is really endless of examples to see in the word of God whose lives were changed and whose eyes were opened towards the end of their life about how God brought to the realization of them that and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Time would not be able to give about Joseph and his experiences, about Job and his experiences about Paul and his experiences, about Manasseh and his experiences, and even in our own lives, if we're true and really have been searching our hearts over all these years of serving him, we can too say that there are some things that we have experienced in our lives which we did not like, which we hate to even think about, Yet we cannot deny that God was at work in our lives, bringing us to a place where we could be used by him. Even in my own life, I can tell you story after story, even after my salvation, how God was trimming the hedges and some of them were hard trims. But looking back now, I can realize that God was working in my life. This working, this pruning, this time teaches us to hate sin. It helps us to see our fallen nature. It helps motivate us to desire God. It, it, it helps us to conform to the suffering of Christ. It helps us and drives us to prayer. Nothing humbles us like affliction. It causes us to be humbled. It causes us to long for heaven, does it not? 
as we look at the things in this world, as we experience the aches and pains of this life, as we're tired of seeing the affliction and how it weighs down upon us, we long to get out of here. We long for the great escape. We long for 1 Thessalonians 4.16. We're happy that this day is one day coming for us. Get me out of here. The only way that we even have such an attitude is if we realize that God is divinely working in our lives to get our hearts refocused on the exit strategy of this land. It causes us to be thankful for one day when we're going to get deliverance out of this place. And I can tell you from my own personal experience, the one thing that it has done for me, it has helped me to help other people who are going through things that I have once gone through. It has helped me to collect some data along the way saying, that's not exactly what you want to do. Let me tell you what God did in my life. One Puritan writer concluded that sickness teaches us more than a whole sermon. And we know this, that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, to them that love God. And you see that, to them that love him, that love God. This is not a blanket promise he does not say to those who believe in him though I believe that this is just another name for those who believe in him there is something clear here he says to them that love him there is many in this neighborhood that we door knocked with and talked to who not only say they know our God but they say that they love God they say that they love our God just as much as we love our God. But John chapter 14, there are three verses in the 14th chapter that sticks out in regards to defining whether we really love God or not. In John chapter 14, you can't get out of that chapter with determining whether your love for God is real or it is just a confession that you offer up. Here it says in John chapter 14 and verse 15, if ye love me, keep my commandments. John chapter 14 and verse 21, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. John chapter 14 and 23, Jesus answered and said unto them, if a man love me, he will keep my words and my father will love him and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loves the Lord's, he loves the Lord, strives to keep his commandments. He that loves the Lord has a desire to do his will. He that loves the Lord loves the Father. He that loves the Lord understands this. But notice the connecting point here. To them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. See what happened here. Those who loved God are the ones who identified as the ones who are the called according to his purpose. Some say that those who are called is referring to the respond of positive, those who respond positively to the preaching of the gospel, which is a nice thought. 
But, though I do think that at times that we understand that God's call, God's uh, extended call upon our lives. He said, those who are called according to his purpose. I do believe that this is God's sovereign call. This is the effectual call. This is the call of God that we start reading about in the beginning of the book of Genesis. The call in which he extended forth out of ex nihilo, out of nothing. God commanded light. Realize in Genesis chapter 1, when we read about it, we don't read about God ex extending a negotiation with darkness. No, God called light to come out of the darkness. He called space to be formed in, or matter to be formed in space. This was God's call upon it. And this is his omnipotent power. He spoke and there was light. He spoke and the earth was formed. He spoke and the moon was in place. He spoke and the stars were there. This is his effectual call. This can never be frustrated. It cannot be hindered because God is God. He is not on his throne by a majority vote. Therefore, he can't be dethroned. Therefore, he can't be cast down and he's not even stepping down. He sovereignly rules this world from all eternity. We all live lives and we all have lived lives in which we have demonstrated that we have resisted God's grace. Don't be silly. We can resist God's grace. Matter of fact, many of us for many years resisted God's grace. But in this moment here, when he said, who are the called according to his purpose? These are the ones in which God loved. I believe this to be the effectual call. Even today, I think we live in a life where we resist God's grace. We resist it in our lives, even as believers. But I believe in this text, uh, uh, Paul offers up here something more irresistible. That God's grace in our lives, in this effectual call, can, it will trump our resistance to grace. But in the primary portion of this text, the thing I want you to take home with you this evening is that in verse 26, that there are things that we're going to experience things in this life which we don't have the answers to. And we're going to pray, and even when we don't know how to pray, the Spirit's praying on our behalf. And even when we don't know how to pray, and even when we don't know how to make sense of the situation, even when we don't know how to understand the wickedness in this world, how did this ever happen? Know this. You're experiencing in your life. Romans 8.28 says that God is going to use even this situation to bring us to a place that we can better be used by him. It is all to complete his purpose, to accomplish his goal in our lives. What an encouragement to know that it's not in vain. That the suffering, this affliction, it actually has a purpose in our lives. That's encouraging to me because if I didn't think it was going to better me, I wouldn't want to go through it. But since I know my father is right on this one, my heavenly father, my earthly one was wrong. My heavenly father says, this experience that you experience in your life, I'm going to better you out of it, son. I'm going to teach you something here. And if I'm going to learn how to walk closer, if I'm going to learn how to walk straighter, if I'm going to learn how to have a pure relationship with my heavenly father through it, then let me go through it.
Because in the end of it, in the end of my life, I have just one desire. That God is glorified in everything that I've done since the day he called me out of darkness into marvelous light. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we give thanks to you for all that you've done, Lord. We lift your name up and praise you, Lord. You've been so good to us, Lord. What an, what a comforting thing is to know that you're working and that you're sovereignly going to intervene even in our lives and teach us and educate us about the things of this life, Lord. We love you and give our thanks to you in Jesus' name. Amen.